Thank you and good morning. Uh, if, if we haven't had the privilege to meet yet, I'd love to meet you. My name is Kathy Haug. And um, on behalf of the whole teaching team and the leadership here at Third Church, we just want to add our thanks for your incredible generosity this morning uh, and really the, the phenomenal ways you're engaging as we've been pressing in to these values of worship and of finding quiet and of generosity in Advent. So thank you for the ways you're engaging. I, I hope many of you were also able to make it out to the open house for the food shelf in their new location on Thursday. Um, we had a great time exploring the new space and praying. Uh, but I have to say, for me, it was most compelling to have a chance to hear from the leadership of that ministry, uh, not just about their passion to see the food insecurity needs of our region met, but really their passion to see the conversation change and be more healthy around what it just means to give and receive from one another as neighbors. Um, because the reality is that we're all, you know, one day away from everything really changing, right? From us going from a place where we can give to where it's the time we need to receive and vice versa. And so thank you for being a part of this ministry. Uh, you might have seen as you came in, there are stations in the foyer and up front. There's also these little cards where we can get a chance to write prayers uh, or words of blessing on the ministry. So we'd encourage you in the worship space or as you come and go to make time to, to fill out a card as well. Um, I especially, I think I appreciate the invitation for food specifically because in Advent we, we are talking about our longing to see spaces um, open up where we can see the Holy One come into ordinary moments, right? And nothing's really more ordinary than food and paper towels. And I mean, this is all like everyday kind of stuff, right? That we can sometimes forget about our needs for. But at the same time, isn't it amazing how many beautiful and holy moments happen, you know, around tables and in households? And so the fact that we could be a part of this and that each of these items, uh, you know, each box of mac and cheese might somehow be a part of a holy moment in a home, I think is such a beautiful opportunity. So thank you. Thank you for looking for these moments these holy moments in everyday life. Uh, and, and really, if you were here with us last week, that's also at the heart of what we've been doing with our reverse offering in Advent. So last week, um, we had a chance, instead of giving an offering, to also receive an offering. So each person who wanted to was invited to take $20 and spend some time thinking, praying, and looking for opportunities to bless people around us in the community and beyond. And it has been so fun to hear some of the stories coming in about ways you are stewarding those resources in your lives. And so uh, a couple stories to share. Um, there was someone who blessed a fairly harried barista one day that was really hectic at the coffee shop. So some stories of you all blessing servers and people in service industry. 
there was a great story about someone who had a passion to go buy coats at Costco to donate to Crossroads here in Pella. And they said when they got there, they were pleasantly surprised because there was a clearance, so their money went further. Um, but also when they were talking with the checker, who's like, what are you, why are you buying all these coats? They, that checker was inspired to then do something similar in their location. So I love that story. Um, many of you have given gifts to friends or neighbors who were in a tough spot, who just received a, a cancer diagnosis. One neighbor who seemed, uh, they couldn't get out much, I'm isolated. And we've also had a couple fun stories about you multiplying and growing those funds to invest. Uh, there was a family who took $40 and through their connections online grew that to over $2,000 in just one day and then was able to bless our visiting missionary last week who's doing gospel work in a sensitive country. So well done. Uh, and guess what? We still have time. So if you haven't yet found or sensed how to best steward that, keep praying, keep looking for those opportunities. And we would love to have you share the story, whether it felt simple or grandiose, how you used it, uh, using this QR code, because we want our faith built. So please share your story so we can be encouraged and spurred on with one another, okay? Uh, and good news, my understanding is if you weren't here but you'd like to take part, um, there are still some reverse offerings left at the Welcome Center. So stop and if they have any left, they will get you one on the way out this morning. All right, so thank you for doing that. Uh, it's so fun, I love it. Uh, actually, I told the team, I was like, um, am, am I gonna have room to stand on stage this morning? I was like, how is this gonna work? It keeps like coming closer, which is a wonderful problem to have. Uh, I was also thinking, it's, this is so fun, right? And it should be fun because technically, did you know it's the new year? So I should be saying, Happy New Year to everybody. Because Advent actually marks the beginning of the calendar year for the Christian church in the West. So Happy New Year. Uh, I was thinking about it a little and just contrasting it maybe with what January 1st feels like for a lot of us. Because at January 1, right, a lot of times that is really the season where it is we resolve, like our human resolve to become more healthy, happy, better citizens, all good stuff. Um, but it's really about our human resolutions, right? And isn't it fascinating that at the beginning of the new year in the Christian church, what we do is we actually say, God, I can't fix it. We need you. We wait for you. We wait for your arrival. Right? And that's what the word Advent literally means. It's arrival. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And so, yes, we remember with joy waiting for the arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem as a baby. But we also still wait for the arrival of Jesus again, the one who's going to come and make all things whole and right and new. And that's the longing that Clayton last week was helping us to get in touch with in Isaiah 64, right? Um, longing for the return, the arrival of King Jesus, but a King Jesus who comes with a kind of good power, 
right? A power to change and restore what has been broken, to bring justice in places of injustice, to make whole that which has been broken or distorted. That's the Jesus whose arrival we wait for. Blessed are those who wait. And we're going to continue thinking about what Isaiah teaches us in this season of longing for the arrival of King Jesus as we turn together to chapter 40 of Isaiah. The numbers in your Bibles are there for both the English and Spanish Bibles if you want to follow along. Chapter 40, we're going to do the first 11 verses, or you can pull out your own Bible or device, or just listen. And, um, I, you know, Pastor Darren is teaching in the auditorium this morning. And as he and I have been studying Isaiah 40 and reflecting and asking how we ought to apply it for ourselves, this, he brought this great question to the auditorium family this morning. And I wanted to raise it for us as well. And the question is this, it's, are we seeking to be comfortable or comforted? And I was like, Darren, you're making me uncomfortable, right? With this question. Are we seeking the rich, deep, mighty, tender, present comfort of God? Or do we just kind of wish we would be plucked out of all the hard stuff in our life? Or which do we most actually long for? So we'll let that question simmer this morning under the surface as we go to our text. And as we look at Isaiah 40, a little bit of context for us This chapter 40 marks a significant turn into what people often call Isaiah 2, kind of the second part of Isaiah. And you'll hear it right away as we begin the text. The tone shifts dramatically. You see, in the first 39 chapters, the prophet has been speaking to the um, pain and woe and oppression that this rebellious people have been experiencing under the weight of empires that have come and have brought dominion and domination. So Isaiah is kind of groaning. The people are crying out, and it's been about the judgment and warning. And really, that actually is the experience of Isaiah in his lifetime, right? So an 8th century BC prophet, he prophesies in the southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. And he prophesies during the reigns of King Uzziah to about Hezekiah, we think, And in that time period, they witnessed the conquering and fall of the northern kingdom to the empire of Assyria, a brutal and violent conquest. And it was a season of warning and crying out because the prophet saw what was coming, that the southern kingdom too and its rebellion and turning from God would experience a similar oppression just by a different nation, the empire of Babylon. And so Isaiah has been um, crying out and calling, but this part of chapters 40, beginning at 40, is actually speaking to a people in an audience who have experienced this defeat under a worldly power. But it's a word now turning to hope that there will come a new day for these people. So hear those words as we turn to 40. Isaiah 40 chapter 1 says, Comfort, 
Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord is on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Verse 9, you who bring good tidings to Zion, go high up on a mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Lord, thank you for the gift of your words. Would they find a good soil in our hearts today? Amen. Amen. Do you hear the turn? Right? Comfort. And maybe you heard it as I read. I do think there are these themes and waves in what the prophet is invited to bring to the people. So I want us to notice those and talk through them together. And the first one I just called comfort. Right? The prophet is invited to comfort and speak tenderly to the people after their time of oppression and tragedy and pain. And that word comfort in the Hebrew is a really interesting word. Uh, it's nahamu. And because you don't put the vowels in Hebrew, you'd, you'd see N-H-M. And it actually has a very robust and diversified meaning. But at the heart of it, it, it is actually this sigh. It's kind of this idea of a groan or a deep exhale that expresses an, an intense sense of relief that's most commonly translated comfort in the Bible, but also has this dimension of a consolation and suffering with and grieving with, a turn. Uh, it's a fascinating word. And I, I appreciate what I that word holds the complexity because this is a people who isn't quite sure what they want or need from their God yet, right? They found themselves in distress in many ways because when they were feeling most vulnerable as a people, 
instead of turning and seeking the comfort of God in rest and repentance and trust, in their vulnerability and their insecurity, they actually turned and said, actually, we better cover our bases. And they started making alliances with other nations for their security. And they started trading their wealth instead of taking care of the poor among them for their own gain and safety. And it led to their ruin. And the invitation here is for us to wonder, oh, do I want to just be plucked out of the discomfort and strain, or will I actually, in my vulnerability, turn and receive the better comfort that God offers, who is with us in it? Comfort my people. It opens. And if you go back to the text and look, the second piece starts in verse 3, and the voice instructs this command, to prepare a way for the Lord. So the next invitation is one of preparation for the people. And now the language in these verses, you'll see it's all about the landscape, right? It's about hills and valleys and mountains and terrain. And this would have made the people think about their historic experience in the wilderness, right? Liberated from the oppressive power of Egypt, but still wandering and waiting for their full freedom and liberation as a people. And the image is that kind of there's all of these obstacles in the landscape to see and experience the glory of God, right? There's these valleys, like these chasms that we can't possibly get across. And the invitation is to bring them up. There's these mountains that are barriers blocking our vision of God and his revelation. And it says, bring them down. If you've ever, um, I lived in eastern Colorado, um, the plains, and on a really clear day, you could see, maybe see the mountains a couple hours away. So think like the landscape if you've driven the Dakotas, right? Where like the beauty of that land is that you can see forever. And that's the image in this text. And the the call to prepare is to say, where are there places where there are barriers and obstacles to us together seeing the full glory of God revealed? And maybe there's even an invitation for us to say, what would it mean to remove barriers, not just for us, but for one another to experience God? Last week, Clay reminded us that one of the challenges um, of this season is we're going to invite you to pray about who you could invite to worship with you sometime, to come experience church. Maybe they've never been to church. Maybe they don't want to go to church. Maybe there are barriers that have been erected in their lives that make it feel like I couldn't go there. What would it mean for us to be a part of lowering those barriers for people, right? We're dealing with the things that have piled up the shame and regrets in our lives and saying, no, I want to make a clear, straight path that God would be seen. Preparation. The next part is verses six to eight. And the voice says, cry out, what shall I cry? And this is what the prophets to cry. All men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. So the invitation in here is to remember with honesty and humility the fragility and frailty 
of our lives, right? That this is all temporary. And the image is kind of like dried grass or flowers in your hand that with a breath, they float away. Right? That is the reality of life. And in some ways, this can feel sobering. And uh, many of you feel the frailty and fragility of your life. Maybe you feel it in your own bodies in sickness um, or in the frailty of people you love around you. And I, I really appreciate the way uh, Tisherson Warren, she writes about this in her book called Prayers in the Night. And she talks about sickness in our humanity, in our bodies, as she says, it's like the reaper pulling us over for a warning, saying, remember, you're like grass. Life is short. We're fragile. But also, I think that this invitation to be honest and to humility is profoundly freeing for us. Is it not? Because there's also a recognition in, that you see in verse 7 and 8 that our faithfulness is also something that comes and goes so easily, right? We're fickle. It's hard to keep trusting and turning to the comfort of God in hard times. But it actually gives me a lot of hope because God is not, he has no illusions about me being perfect or any of us being faithful without interruption, right? God knows us. He knows we're like grass. He knows that our faithfulness and our lives are like grass. And to me, that frees me because God still is with me in it, right? And it gives me hope because in the midst of all that feels fleeting and temporal, God says, actually, the things of God, the word of God last forever. They last. They're eternal. And so we are humble. And finally, if you look at verses 9 through 11, the prophet brings good news. Right? He, they say, go up to the mountain and shout this with joy. And what's the proclamation? The proclamation is simple. It says, here is your God. Here's God. And when the prophet and the people, when we look to who that God is, Isaiah, there's two things that Isaiah highlights for us about who this God is. This God of Nahamu, of comfort, who comes near with us. The first thing it says about God is that he's powerful. He's mighty. It says in 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power. Right? It says that his arm rules. He rules with a mighty arm. The reward is with him. The recompense accompanies him. And the reward and recompense, just to do a little bit of text work there, that's an image that you'd think of with maybe a king coming after a conflict like the people have been experiencing. And the king comes and finds the subjects who have been faithful and loyal and true to the king, and there is reward and blessing and liberation for them. And similarly, for those who have been unfaithful, who have resisted the good king's work, there is a recompense, a compensation for them as well. Because God is just, and he is powerful, and he's mighty. 
But Isaiah also points us to something else when he says, here is your God. Look at that second quality in verse 11. Isaiah says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So while God is mighty and powerful and just, he is also gentle and tender like a shepherd. That is the nahamu, the comfort God brings in tough times. And that picture is of, you know, a a herd or a flock of sheep, and he's gathering the the ewes who are with child, who are pregnant, or those who have young sheep, right, who have newborns. Uh, And if you have been around or parented young children, or you have expected a child, you know there is a sense of profound vulnerability and a little bit of out of controlness in life in that stage. And so at the heart of it, it's saying that God is a God who actually tends tenderly and with kindness and gentleness to the most vulnerable among us. Humor me for a minute. I really want this to stick for us. And so um, I thought about some images of this and, and mirror me, if you will, with this hand, I want you to flex your muscle like power, okay? This is about a God who comes, who is mighty, who is powerful and just. So that's this arm, okay? And then with this arm, do it with me, ready? You're gonna sweep your hand like this and take it to your heart, right? Because God is also a God who is tender and kind and gathers to his heart those who are most vulnerable. So we're gonna do this again. We're getting warmed up. All right, warm those arms up. Say it after me. God is mighty, God is tender. God is powerful. And God is gentle. This is our God. Here's our God. And that is the kind of nahamu and the comfort he wants to bring to us. And it's better than just being plucked out of everything that is hard because his presence is so good. It is so mighty and tender and powerful and gentle. And so we see in the text as we put it all together that the nahamu, the comfort of God, is expressed in all these myriad ways. It comes in the expression of our sins being paid for. Just as the people of Israel, God has paid for their sins and they have suffered and he's ready to bring a turn. Right? The comfort will come in their full freedom that they will experience. Their full exodus and liberation as a people. It's coming. And comfort comes as the presence of eternal things in a fleeting and temporal mortality that is our day-to-day experience. And lastly, comfort comes as the God who's with us, who is both mighty and powerful and just, and he's also tender and gentle, and he gathers the most vulnerable right here. This is our God. And he wants you to experience the nahamu that he offers in this season. The last few weeks, the hymn, there's a line from a hymn that's been kind of spinning in my head. And it was fun, unplanned. We actually sang it at the eight o'clock service. 
Uh, and the line is, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Anyone know that hymn? Come thou fount of every blessing, right? And that verse says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And I think that that next line was in my head because I really do feel it. I feel like, Lord, I am prone to wander. I feel it. When things are hard, it is so easy for me to be like, "Mm, I'm just going to fix my own problems. I will find a way in my resolve to make it work, to relieve my discomfort. Or to be like, God, I don't trust you with this one. I'm here again. Are you really with me? I feel it. When I was a kid growing up, I was a third of eight kids. And uh, there were four born to my parents and four adopted. And um, we were not the kind of family that like, neat, like nicely sat in rows, very still, and walked in straight lines and was quiet in public. No, no. We were everywhere. And my parents had to have some clever strategies to manage our crew and we would go out. And one of them was they would match like an older kid with a younger kid. And when we'd go out like to the zoo or something, um, we would have a bungee bracelet between an older kid and a younger kid to at least reduce the possibility of, you know, the three-year-old running into the big tiger house at the zoo and getting lost. And so physically, we were tethered to each other. And that picture was in my head. Uh, I was like, oh, that's, Lord, tether my heart. Like, I just, I'm so prone to run away or wander or resist the comfort you have for me. But I'm so glad that even though you let me go, like, I'm connected and you pull me back. And I think that's really good news for us. I'm going to have the worship team make their way back to the stage, and we're going to have our minute to kind of reflect in quiet. I'm going to guide us with just a, a couple of simple prompts. Um, the three kind of challenges, again, in this season for us in our learning is to engage in um, proactively more in worship. There's midweek worship available for us, 6.30 in this room, that you can come each week. Um, we're invited to generosity, And again, please keep investing your gifts, your reverse offerings, bring food, um, pray. Maybe in this last song, write that prayer or blessing on your card for the food shelf. Um, But we've been invited to find quiet in new ways as well. And we want to practice that as a community. So briefly before I I turn us to quiet, let me just acknowledge like... um, When I was a a young parent, for example, speaking of that time again, these kind of moments, my heart just started beating in the service because I was like, oh, we're going to be quiet, which is exactly the moment that my child is going to like scream something inappropriate or I'm going to, you know, there's going to be crying, it's going to be so stressful. And I just want to say, let's actually be gentle with each other, right? It's not going to be totally silent and things will happen and that's okay. We bless you to be who and where you are. You're all welcome. Be as present as you can to Jesus as we're quiet. So if you can, you know, get comfortable, maybe um, 
Adjust in your seat, plant your feet, close your eyes. And the first question that I want you to ask in the quiet is, God, how do you see me? Lord, you want us to see ourselves rightly. Maybe our lives are like grass, but you're with us. And what is it that you want us to see about ourselves and how you see us? So let's take a a few moments and listen. What does God want to say to you? Secondly, how is God comforting you? How are you experiencing or longing to experience the mighty yet tender comfort of God? And lastly, God, is there an invitation for us? Is there a preparation you're inviting us to make this week? Thank you for the gift of pause and quiet. Amen. So as we turn to respond in worship, maybe a final challenge for this week. Um, Next week we're going to be talking about what it means to be generous with our care and presence with people around us who are in times of loss or grief. And so I want to invite us to be generous this week by also being attentive. Who are the people around us who might be vulnerable, right, or in places of vulnerability that we can carry, who they're carrying weights, right, a weight of some kind that we can hold with them in prayer and in the kind of nahamu that God also brings to us. So let's pray. God, would you give us your sight and your compassion for those around us? Would you continue to help us receive the mighty and tender care and comfort you offer, to long for your comfort above just being comfortable? So Lord, we bless your name, we worship you, and we ask that you would continue to do all that you intend in our hearts today. Amen.